Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. So glad to have you here on The Inner Life. Joining us as today is the Memorial of St. Andre Bessette. I'm Josh Raymond. And when was a time that you wished you could go back and repeat a day? Just have a do-over. Maybe you made a really bad choice. You said something or did something, and it led to absolutely undesirable consequences for you. On the other hand, maybe you wished you could go back and repeat a day because the day was just so good. Almost perfect. You look back, you wish you could live it again and again and again. What would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same? and nothing that you did mattered. Do you recognize that voice? That's Bill Murray, and that's from the movie Groundhog Day. Now, if you're not familiar with the film, Groundhog Day finds the main character. His name is Phil Connors. He repeats that same day, February 2nd, again and again and again, wakes up every morning hearing Sonny and Cher. And he's trapped in that one day, but no one else has any recollection of any of the events that are taking place in this time loop as the day keeps repeating. It's only Phil. He's the only one who realizes that he's stuck here. And by the end of the movie, Phil is a completely different person. At the beginning of the film, you're introduced to him. He's rude. He's arrogant. He's selfish. He's just not a nice person. He didn't care about anybody other than himself. By the end of the movie, he's a more caring and a more selfless individual you end up seeing him rescue a child from a falling tree. He changes a flat tire for three older women that are stranded in the road. He ends up seeing somebody choking in a restaurant. He gives the Heimlich maneuver to save that man's life. He even ends up giving counseling to a young couple, nervous if they should get married, and he, he helps them so that they go through with their marriage plans. And on top of all of that, you also get to see that because of him repeating that day over and over, and he goes through highs and lows. He has, you know, uh, moments where he is absolutely indulgent because he realizes there's no consequences. There's other moments that you see where he goes through massive depression and he tries to end his life, but he can't. The day keeps on repeating. But by the end of it, he has become a skilled pianist. He sits in with a blues jazz band that you see. He has learned about at least enough about medicine, to be kind of honorarily called a doctor. He helps an older man relieve his back pain. He becomes an accomplished ice sculptor. And he probably has learned another language because he ends up fluently quoting French poetry. Now, one of the biggest questions that has been asked about the character of Phil Connors ever since that movie came out, how long did he keep repeating that day 
where he would have been able to learn so many new skills and had such a dramatic change in who he was. Now, an early draft, an early draft of the script had a line where Phil, he said that he had been repeating that day for 10,000 years, 10,000 years. That line never made it in the movie. Harold Ramis, he's the one who directed the film, he ended up leaving, a, leaving it a bit more ambiguous. But Harold Ramis did state years after the release of the movie, he said, well, since it takes at least 10 years to get good at anything, and accounting for that extra time where Phil wouldn't have been working on any of those hobbies or those skills, the downtime where he wasn't practicing or learning things, it was probably somewhere around 30 to 40 years, 30 to 40 years of repeating that same day. Now, the website What Culture, they came up with an even more precise number. They calculated down to the day that Phil was in that time loop for 12,403 days. That's just barely short of 34 years. So it kind of falls in that category of what Harold Ramis said. Now, we live in a time where everyone wants to have immediate results. You want to lose weight in a week? Of course, just take these pills. You want to learn the guitar in an afternoon? Here, just watch this video course. You can do it. You can get whatever you want in that short amount of time. But the truth is, if you really want to get good at something, if you want to learn a musical instrument, if you want to speak a new language, if you want to develop as an artist, whether that's painting or sculpting or drawing, you have to continue practicing day after day after day. You might not be living the same day over and over like Phil Connors was in Groundhog Day, but you have that same opportunity. You can set aside time to grow in that area that interests you. And of course, this also applies to our spiritual life. Just like all other areas of our life, our spiritual growth, it does depend on us making good choices daily. We have to be deliberate. We have to be disciplined about continuing to recommit ourselves to God. And that's what we want to talk about today on The Inner Life. You know, Christ, he calls us, each of us, to follow him, but it's not a one-time call only. He calls us to become a new creation in him. He calls us to conversion and daily conversion. But what does that mean, daily conversion? And how are we supposed to live out this idea of daily conversion? Well, joining us for the hour to help us understand this and how we can apply it in our lives, Father Chris Walsh is back with us once again. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia and the pastor of St. Raymond of Penafort Catholic Church in Philadelphia. Uh, Father Chris, welcome back to The Inner Life. So glad to have you here. Thank you so much, Josh. Happy New Year. Happy Epiphany. Happy Andre Bassett Day. I know. It's it's a nice kind of <laughs> triple uh, triple hit day here with all of those uh, coming here together. Um, Father, talking about conversion, you know, many times when we talk about conversion, it can just be referencing a one-time event in our lives. If I talk about my conversion, I'm probably talking mainly about the date that I entered the Catholic Church. Um, if you look at lives of people we know in Scripture, famously, of course, St. Paul. He's on the road to Damascus. He's blinded. Jesus speaks directly to him. He has an immediate, amazing conversion. Zacchaeus, he has that encounter with Christ, and it changes his life. There are so many others that we see that have this change in their lives, this moment of conversion. But those are these initial encounters with Christ. Uh, Conversion, 
even though we think of it as that initial moment, can you talk to us about what conversion is and how it's not only a one-time <laughs> event? It is a day-after-day renewal of ourselves. It certainly is. The Catechism talks about what they call the first conversion and the second conversion. And I think it's helpful, Josh, for us to even define what conversion means. Because sometimes, as you said, people think, oh, well, you converted from being a Lutheran to being a Catholic, or you converted from Judaism to being a Catholic. Um, I, I think that sometimes the secular definitions do help us, that, that a conversion literally means when someone adopts a set of beliefs as their own. And why is that helpful? Because the reality is that the people are having conversions all sorts of times. So many of our listeners, their children and grandchildren, have converted to a secular way of thinking, right? And, and, and that's the challenge that we're all, we all have a set of beliefs, right? People sometimes say, well, I'm a non-believer. Well, you, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in Christianity, but you have beliefs that guide your life. Every single one of us, our lives are guided by a set of beliefs. Maybe we haven't taken time to think about it. But for those of us who are Christians, who are Catholic, we, we, we talk about conversion in the context of I'm adapting a set of beliefs that, that were established by Christ and further defined by his church, and I'm going to allow them to influence my life. I think all of us have a first conversion. For some people, it is a dramatic conversion where they kind of hit rock bottom and they realize, well, I can't live this life of sin. I can't live this life of decadence any longer. I need to live a different way. And so they come to Christ. It might be uh, someone like a St. Paul conversion or so many other saints. But I think in so many cases for us, and I know in my own life, there was no big moment of conversion. But at some point in my early 20s, I said, you know what? I, I really want these beliefs to be my beliefs. I want my life to be guided by the principles of Jesus Christ and his teachings and those of his church. And I'm going to be intentional about this. So I think there's that first conversion. And I remember where it happened when I was working at a secular job. Um, and it was a Baptist who sort of challenged me on, on, on what was guiding my life. But then there's what you're referring to, the second conversion, which is ongoing, day by day by right. day, where I, where, I, where I put into action uh, everything else, right? And we know that great line from, from Paul to the Philippians, right? Um, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I wish Paul would have just added, hour by hour, <laughs> hour by hour, we work it out. Mm. Well, so the ongoing conversion, the hour by hour, and, you know, I, I started off saying daily. It kind of sounds like you are saying it has to be not only at the beginning of each day, it needs to be something that is so a part of our our being, our ethos, that we couldn't we couldn't continue down the road of salvation, of relationship with Christ, if it doesn't permeate everything, it can't be separated out into, okay, I offer my day to God in the morning, and now I'm off and running. It needs to just permeate every part of our being throughout the day. I remember a, a, a day of reflection when I was in the seminary. A priest came who was very wise and respected in the diocese. He's a good, good man, still is today, still working in his mid-70s. And um, he made a comment that he had gotten to the point in his life, at this point he was probably in his early 50s, mid-50s, he said where well, he realized God wanted his evenings. And he didn't go into the great detail, and I, but it stuck with me. I'm like, what does that mean? Um, and as I look at it, like, you know, as a priest, my mornings and my day and my afternoon are often quite 
quite full with religious and godly things. I'm praying with people at nursing homes and in their homes, and I'm visiting the school and praying. God sort of has that. But then sometimes at night after dinner, I just I want to become selfish. I want to go sit and read. Uh, I, I, I want to maybe just go out with friends. I don't want to meet with the couple who needs to be met with. I don't want to meet with another person for spiritual direction. Um, and, 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 and that idea that, no, God wants that too. And so that conversion, which is why, praise God for me as a priest, I'm, I'm called to you know, have the liturgy of the hours that sort of govern my day. And when I'm faithful to that, it sort of consecrates the day and reminds me that, okay, from, from, from this stretch of evening prayer to night prayer, right, I, I'm called to conversion as well. Um, and, and I think we need those reminders that, that, that it's, again, it's not just a day by day, but I believe it's an hour by hour. Because most of us have periods of the day where we are good, we are grace-filled, we're living righteousness, but then there's other periods. Maybe it's because the people we're with, or maybe it's just you know the time of the day, um, and, and 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 kids are going to bed, and 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 they're they're not cooperative. There's a call to conversion there as well. Mm. As you're talking about those reminders in your life as a priest, as you look at maybe your parishioners, are there any of those kind of reminders through the day that you see in their lives as laity? Yeah, I, I think. Folks, first of all, what, what we're doing right here, Relevant Radio, I think Relevant Radio, when people have that, even if they're not actively listening, but it's just on in the house, I think the, the call to prayer, the reminder of conversion, I, I think it's the value of having religious images, but also developing a habit of prayer. You know, it's great that we pray in the morning, but then there's you know 23 more hours that need to be consecrated. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so perhaps it's at at, at dinner, you know, the grace before meals. I have uh, one family that I'm friends with, who at, at their grace before meals, or uh, at dinner time, you know, they sort of talk about what's happening for the rest of the night, and and sort of ask for God's grace in prayer. So uh, again, I think that's a, another great, wonderful way that each of us have to figure out. Um, how to consecrate the, the rest of the day, and remember that you know it, it's great that you did your Bible study. It's great that you read your book, but it's not so great now if you're going to sit down at uh, at seven thirty eight o'clock and watch TV shows that are going to undo the grace that was flowing throughout the rest of the day. You know, let's talk about that too, because that daily or that hourly conversion of our lives. It seems, well, one of the the verses that comes to my mind from Scripture is Christ talking about, and I think he says it in all three of the synoptic Gospels, if you wish to be my disciple, if you wish to uh, come after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. And it might be St. Luke's Gospel, I forget which one, but one of them even adds in, take up your cross daily and follow me. And that's one of the verses that really kind of stuck in my head here as I was preparing for our conversation today, knowing we're talking about this idea of daily conversion. Taking up our cross, I mean, that means that there's some sort of sacrifice. There's maybe some sort of, uh, you know, un, unwelcome uh, suffering that is going to be along with us offering ourselves to God in that daily or that hourly, that ongoing basis. But not all of it is suffering, because the other thing that Jesus tells us, he says, uh, you know, take upon you my burden, my yoke, because it's light, it's easy. So uh, even though there's that idea of a cross, that there might be something that is not easy or welcome, Jesus does kind of tell us, 
Well, my yoke, my burden is light and easy. Can you help us kind of reconcile that idea of taking up our cross, but also <laughs> that it's it's not going to be just all reliant upon us. Christ will give us an easy burden. Praise God, right? I think that even the, the, the first reading at Mass today, Josh, it just so boldly uh, starts with a reminder, and John did it a few times this week, um, beloved, we love God because he loved us first, right? He loved us first. <laughs> that God takes the initiative, that we can never think that any aspect of our conversion, any aspect of our, our, our life of, of holiness and prayer is our doing. Uh, once we do that, once we think that we're self-directed, once we believe that somehow religion is self-help, well, we're, we're very much off. And, and, and folks, many Christians have fallen that way uh, in the past with, with classical heresies. Yeah, so, so God takes the initiative. And, and what does God do? Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the take up your cross and the uh, my yoke is easy are, are not in any way opposed to each other. Uh, first off, the cross is a reality, right? And again, it's not necessarily that you've got a brain tumor or that, you know, you, you lost here in Philadelphia with a horrific fire yesterday and 13 people died in a in a house, including a number of children. Like, your cross doesn't have to be the, you, you lost someone in this horrific way, right? Your cross could be, you know, your your 13-year-old doesn't talk to you, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. Or, or you and your spouse are going through just a season where you kind of have some resentments towards each other. Or your cross is that, you know, your kids are at, at home learning, you know, because of virtual school, because of whatever reason with COVID, and, and you've got to do work, and you've got to do laundry, and there's just not enough hours in the day. So we don't always have to think of the crosses as these, you know, horrific things. They're the daily crosses, which, again, if you're living life, you're, you're going to have something. You're going to have something. It's too cold. It's too hot, whatever. And so what do we do with that? We take it, and we allow ourselves to be yoked to Jesus. And that image that he's on the one side and he's inviting us to be on the other, that he's readied it for us. And then when we're there, right, why does it become easy? Because he's walking with us, right? I've, I've never operated oxen who are yoked together, but I'm told by farmers who have that, um, you know, what's the purpose? Well, you know, one of the one of the animals is going to grow tired, and the other will carry them. Well, in our case, it's always we who grow tired, and and Jesus carries us along. Jesus moves us. So yeah, the the, the Christian life is not just all about oh we suffer, we suffer, we suffer. But the reality is, we do suffer, we suffer, we suffer. Right? That is that is the challenge of being a human. What do I do when things don't go my way? When things aren't happening how I want them? And and, and so yeah, that's just the reality of life. And so what do we do? We draw close to Christ and we allow Him to walk with us. Mm-hmm. Our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life, Father Chris Walsh, a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, talking about that ongoing conversion that we are called to in our lives. How do you respond each day to that call to conversion, to grow closer to Christ, to allow Christ to change your life so that you're more closely united with him? Do you find yourself discouraged when you're not growing in holiness, when that conversion maybe isn't happening as fast as you'd like it to happen? Uh, Maybe you'd like some encouragement, some advice on how you can renew yourself daily, hourly in that ongoing conversion. Or maybe you've had some successes in that ongoing conversion. We'd love to hear how that has happened in your life. You can call in at 888-914-9149, Email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life, as today we're talking about conversion, not just a one-time conversion, but that ongoing daily conversion that we're called to, the renewal of ourselves. How have you lived that out in your life? What are some things that you have practiced in your life that allow you to recommit yourself, to renew yourself in Christ each day? You can call in at 888-914-9149. I'm Josh Raymond, and we're talking with our spiritual director, Father Chris Walsh, priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, the pastor of St. Raymond of Penafort Catholic Church there in Philly. And uh, again, taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149. Maybe you have a question about uh, conversion, about that ongoing conversion process that each of us is called to. And you can call in again, 888-914-9149. Now, Father, right before the break, you were talking about how, you know, the the conversion that happens in our lives, it's not our doing. You, you mentioned, you know, if we look at Christianity as some sort of self-help, uh, you know, process, we're missing out on what this really is that we have for our faith, the relationship that we're called to with Christ. But the other side of that that I think is important to talk about, too, is, um, as you said, it's not reliant upon us. It's reliant fully upon Christ. But so many times we have to participate and cooperate in the ways that Christ calls us. You know, I think this is this was always one of those things for me coming from a Protestant background. We had this whole concept of you're saved by grace through faith, very scriptural, and not of any works. There is absolutely nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Again, right in line with what we believe as Catholics, but I always remember after I started reading Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where that's taken from, the very next verse, verse 10, it says, we are created for good works in Christ. We are his handiwork. We're created for those good works. We're meant to continue and do those works in Christ. So the idea of conversion, it's fully dependent upon Christ, but then we still have to participate. And so the the thing I, I, I want to get to that I, I guess I'm just taking a long time to get there we have to make a, a, a deliberate, conscious decision that we are going to participate, that we are going to grow closer to Christ, still relying upon him, still asking for his help, but we still have to participate in it. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's great to have this conversation uh, in this first week of the new year. I'm sure many listeners have made some sort of New Year's resolution. And, of course, the most common ones are around uh, weight loss or you know, having better habits with housekeeping or record keeping or maybe with exercise and walking or being in touch with people. Well, how do these things, you know, how does our behavior change? Well, our behavior changes when our beliefs change. And so I have to believe that eating a certain way is better for me. If I don't have that belief, then it's very unlikely that any resolution is, is, is going to happen. Um, friend of mine some years ago, I remember calling and, and asking him who he was in AA to reach out to someone else 
you know, who I thought was struggling with alcoholism. And he said, no. He goes, oh, you can give him my number and he can call me. And I said, well, why is that? He goes, well, I, I can invite him all I want. If he doesn't want it, it's not going to work. And, you know, so what he was saying is that, like, the person's belief has to change. And, and with alcoholism, of course, with 12-step programs, you know, I had to believe that my life is powerless over alcohol. And so I, I need, by the grace of God, you know, help. And, and so I think in the same with our own daily conversion, uh, I, there has to be a, a belief that the way of Christ is the way. Right? Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. So I had to believe that the way of Christ, which is the, the way of virtue, the way of goodness, the way of kindness, the way of forgiveness, uh, the way of service, that that is the best way. And, and, then, and then my beliefs will follow, um, which is why we need to read the scriptures, why we need to listen to relevant radio, why we need to watch and, and, and have good exposure to life of virtue. Because, again, I'm always going to be better than the people in the soap operas, right? But, that, but that's not my standard. Right, and so I hold up the image of who Christ is. That's the beliefs. That's how people that want to follow Christ live. And therefore, I say, oh, I want that. But of course, that involves what having to admit that what I'm doing now is not that. Right. And so that's all that part of that conversion. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the example of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I've got a couple of very close family members who have, you know, they, they've been sober for well over a decade, both of them now, the, the, the two that I'm thinking of. But I know they have to be very deliberate. You know, as you're talking about that changing of belief, that changing of attitude, what do I believe? And both of them had to get to a point where uh, one of them, he almost lost his family, you know, his wife and his children. It was not looking good. And thankfully, he was able to make changes, and his marriage is stronger than it ever was before. Um, the other person I'm thinking of, he just readily admit that he hit rock bottom and he said, I just don't want to continue on like this. So there, you know, that, that kind of is looking at that. You talked about the two different conversions, that initial conversion, that first conversion, but then that second conversion for them, it's knowing that they can't go back down that road. If they do, it will be problematic to the point that they could sacrifice everything that they've worked for in their lives up to this point. You know, that's also, for us, I mean, we can look at that in our own lives and look at temptation, look at sin, and say, okay, I have to change my belief and my attitude about temptation and about sin, rather than saying, oh, I've got the sacrament of confession, and I can, I can go there. Yeah, I, I know I'm going to sin again, and I'll, I'll go, and I'll get cleaned up, and it'll be okay. But we really have to have uh, that that changing of our mindset of what sin actually is and how it's not something you know we shouldn't treat the grace of god in a cheap or flippant manner um we need to realize that that sin has severed us off it's basically killed our spiritual life if we've committed a grave enough sin and we need that that uh, breathing back into ourselves we need that healing to reestablish our lifeline to Christ. And, and again, it happens when we're humble enough to admit it, right? Um, that, yeah, it's, it's just the, 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 the humility, right, to say that I'm not once and done, that, that I haven't, because I decided, okay, I'm going to be a better husband, I'm going to be a, a, a better son, I'm going to be a better friend, I'm going to be a better Catholic. Okay, great, we want you to make that decision. 
And, and maybe that's that, again, that first conversion. But then the day by day of allowing God's grace to move in my life. And, and part of that we have to know ahead of time is I'm likely to fail. <laughs> right? Because why? Change is hard. Right. Because habits are difficult to change. And especially in those early days, um, you know, of I'm, 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 my language is going to get better or I'm going to be more generous with my time with people. Yeah, I'm going to fall back into selfishness. You know, or habits about the things I watch or, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm going to fall into it again. And so what do I need to do? I need to get up. And, and what is confession fundamentally, you know, part of a, an aid and a conversion process where I say, I was doing this and this is not consistent with the beliefs I want to follow. And so therefore I'm admitting I was wrong and I'm asking from God the grace to start over. The grace to be healed of my sin and to start over. And again, it's day by day by day. I don't know if it's true, but I was always told that you know John Paul II went to confession daily. I remember hearing and that. People yeah. would say, "Well, God, for, for for crying out loud, he's the Pope. What was he What was he doing that he needed confession daily?" And, and again, I, I think we 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 forget that you know while confession is certainly only necessary for you know mortal sins, um, there's something very good about making confession for our venial sins, and certainly. You know, he was a man who, who, who had temptations, you know, for, for all sorts of ways, frustrations that became sinful. And, and so what was he doing? It was, it was part of his daily conversion process. It not means that all of us need to go to confession every day. Please, God, I can't handle that, right? Once a week, once a month, that's great for now, um, unless you're struggling with something very serious. But, um, you know, I think what it shows us is that someone like St. John Paul II, he had a conscience that was very sensitive to sin, and, and he realized that it was in the sacrament that he was going to receive the grace uh, to do that. Plus, as Pope, he had priests all around him, so it was it was kind of easy to do. Um, but, but you know, someone like Mother Teresa, I know that she went to confession weekly because I, I know priests who were confessors. And, you know, again, they never told me what Mother was confessing, but because her conscience was, was so sharp— she was aware of the way sin was was getting into her life, and she, and even Mother Teresa, yes, needed conversion on a regular basis. You know, as you're talking about this, um, one of the sections of the Catechism that really stood out to me, it's in paragraph 1848, and it's the end of that paragraph. It's a quote from St. John Paul II, and he talks about how conversion requiring it requires convincing of sin. And there's the interior judgment that he talks about, the interior judgment of uh, conscience. But he says, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we have that convincing of sin, that we have a double gift that's given to us. One is the gift of the truth of conscience. That's what you're talking about, both with Mother Teresa and with um, John Paul II himself. John, John Paul himself. Yeah. Right. So that that's, that's one of those, the gift of the truth of conscience. And it says the second gift here is the certainty of redemption. Can you talk to us for a moment about the certainty of redemption? What, what, what do you think St. John Paul II is talking about there? Yeah, praise God for it, right? That that moment of conscience. I, <clears throat> I was visiting a family the other day, and uh, they have young children, and they were telling me about what they got for Christmas. And, and the boy, who's the oldest son, who's, I don't know, eight or nine, um, and, and very much into, you know, uh, trucks and wrestling and sports and this kind of stuff, I said to him, uh, did you get any dolls for Christmas? And he, and he looked at me, and he went, what? 
I said, did you get any dolls? And his little brother, who's like six, starts laughing. He says, oh, you got dolls. You got dolls. And the eight-year-old, who, again, his parents are doing a phenomenal job raising him um, and exposing him to the faith. And, and he looked at me and he goes, Father Chris, you're not supposed to tease people. Ouch. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and in that moment, right, I had a decision to make. Right. Because, again, this kid's looking to me. I baptized him. I did his parents' wedding. He's looking to me as a spiritual father. And I, I, I praise God, I got it right in this moment. And I said, you know what? You're right. Thank you for reminding me. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. I should not tease you. You know, and then, boom, we went bounce, bounce right back into it. So what was happening in that moment? Well, sin was revealed to me. I was teasing him, and it was unkind. And I shouldn't have done it. I was wrong. It wasn't good. There was nothing good to come from that. Um, and... And so I, I, in that moment of admitting that, admitting, again, I was wrong. I was hurting someone else. I was trying to put this kid down. I was, I was using him to make his little brother laugh, right? How pathetic, a 50-something-year-old man, you know, just to do it for a six-year-old to laugh, right? But in that moment, I also felt a tremendous grace of consolation. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was going to console me because I, I cooperated with grace. Mm. Grace presented to me from, by an eight-year-old. So is there an assurance of salvation? Well, consolation certainly is. According to Ignatius, uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, consolation becomes a, 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 a tangible sign that we are in the presence of God. And, and, and ultimately, what is our salvation? That we get to live in the presence of God forever. And so I, I do think we have to pay attention, right? It's, it's that moment, I think I've shared it on the radio before, when I taught high school full-time, Josh, and uh, I would, I would you know, get video of kids coming out of confession. You know, why? Because they had this look of joy on their face, this look of relief. How did it get there? It was the consolation given by God because they've admitted their sins. And, and in that moment, they, they were free from sin. And I would put the video together and then show it before confession. I'm like, see, right now you're all anxious, you're nervous, look at your faces. But afterwards, you're going to be different, mm. not just physically, but fundamentally different. Because there's a grace that is given in that sacrament when we say, what I did was wrong. I don't want to do it anymore. God, give me the grace to change. Because when I did those things, I was believing something that was a lie. And I want to follow the truth. Mm. You know, uh, the wife of my sponsor, when I was coming into the church, uh, I remember him telling me, he said, yeah, confession. You know, he was helping me as I was getting ready for my very first confession. And he said, uh, yeah, my wife, she said it again and again and again. I hate going to confession, but I love going to confession. Uh, you know, hate to have to go in and be humble and admit all the things that I've done, but being able to be freed from that and walk out, like you say, the faces of those high schoolers, being able to to just have that off your your conscience, off your shoulders, uh, absolutely. Let's also talk as we're talking about as we're discussing. Letting go of that sin, having that opportunity to start again. We're talking in the sacrament of confession, but in the moment, in the moment where you find yourself, uh, you know, especially if it's that common sin, you know, we all struggle with those sins where we we easily give into that temptation in our lives. And if it's that common sin and you've done it again and you say, ah, oh, you know, here we go one more time. What are some things that you might recommend that we can renew ourselves in that moment rather than just throwing up our hands and saying, ah, what's the use? You know, here we go again. How do we, how do we stay strong 
and uh, you know invite the Holy Spirit back to work in our lives so that it's not a moment of frustration and despair, but it's an opportunity to grow in our relationship with Christ. And again, to have that moment of conversion, even though we've just fallen. Great question. I do think it does come back again to that definition of belief, of conversion that I shared, you know, where I, 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 I ascribe to a set of beliefs and seek to apply them to my life. I think sometimes we have to slow down and, and ask ourselves, do I really believe that lying is bad? Do I really believe that teasing an eight-year-old is bad? Do I really believe that, you know, watching this or that on TV or the internet is bad? Do I really believe that cheating on my taxes is bad? Do I really believe that, you know, not sharing everything about my finances with my spouse is bad? Because I, I think in many cases, the reason why we continue to fall into the sins we fall into is that our beliefs really haven't changed. You know, again, externally, we know there's pressure. Well, this is what Catholics do. Okay, but but is it what you do? Is it what you want? Do you believe that it is the way? And perhaps we have to start there with praying for the grace. I say this all the time when people come and say, look, I know I should forgive someone who hurt me, but I don't want to forgive them. Okay, okay. Pray for the grace to desire to forgive them. Hmm. Right? Because once you have that, <laughs> okay, now we can take the next steps. Right. And so, again, if, if I I don't think it's a big deal that, you know, I spend more time with my buddies playing softball than, than with my wife and kids. All right. Well, why don't you why don't you think about that? Why don't you pray for the grace to be a more faithful husband and father? Right. That, that God increase that desire in you and, and convict you that, that that's who you are called to be um, and, and read about it. <laughs> And, and, and reflect on it and maybe ask your spouse and kids. So, so once you have the belief, then I believe the behaviors will follow. Now, sometimes we can get the behaviors in line without, but it's going to be that constant, I'm at confession every three weeks with the same stuff because I don't really believe it's wrong. Now, if I believe it's wrong and I'm still struggling, okay, well, there you are. Yoke yourself to Jesus, right? Find a particular prayer that you're going to rely on. Find a regular confessor who you're going to be accountable to. And, and, and do the tough work of conversion, uh, which is choose what God wants and not what you want, and, and, and ask others to pray for you and really rely on, on the power of grace. I, I've been sharing with folks today, morning mass, and I called a prayer earlier, you know, Andre Bissett, like in his lifetime, was like, you know, thousands of miracles up right, in Montreal. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and how's that possible? Well, he actually believed that the grace of God could change things, that people who had cancer could be cancer-free, that marriages that were broken could be healed, that people who had addictions could stop. And I'm not sure, Josh, to be honest with you, I know in my own life at times, I, I don't always rely on the grace of God. We're trying to find housing for a, a, a mom who arrived from Haiti, and um, it, it's just a real struggle and this kind of stuff. And Philadelphia, like so many other cities, the, the real estate market is tough. And at one point, the guy who's helping me, he said, Father, like we are praying for this, right? And I was like, ooh, forgot that part. Like, mm. sending out emails, putting it on Facebook. I forgot to bring this to prayer. Well, that changed that day, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and, and I know God's going to deliver something. But, like, we have to really act as though God's grace matters. Mm -hmm. I'd like to highlight one other thing that you said there just a moment ago, too. You said, you know, ask others to pray for you mm. in the 
the sin or the temptation that you struggle with. Because if you're trying to go through life alone, this was something that came up in the conversation on our show yesterday. And I think it's so important, you know, using that example again of Alcoholics Anonymous, you're not trying to beat this on your own. You have a support system, a support group around you. And that's that's absolutely a key component of growing in holiness. You can't just be isolated on your own. You have to be in some way connected with others and asking them to pray for you as you're struggling. You don't have to go into detail. You don't have to go into specifics, but you can just say, hey, I, I really could use your prayers. I mean, that that's important right there that you know, it's not just you trying to do it on your own. Yeah. What is the, the word church, you know, Kirche, Ecclesia, the gathering, the gathering. God knew what he was doing when he brought us together. It's why when folks share with me that they're spiritual but not religious, I'm like, well, I hope you're spiritual with other people. Mm. Um, because God made us for community. He made us to have examples, which is what we have in the saints. Right? No matter what your struggle is in sin, you can find a saint you know, who's got it. Right? There's a, there's a new guy being raised up. I'm forgetting his name now, but he's from, I believe, China. Um, he was a heroin addict. <laughs> we, have a, we have a guy on the way to sainthood who was a heroin addict. We have Dorothy Day who had an abortion. We have Matt Talbot who was an alcoholic. Right? Um, we, we've got folks who, who walked out of their marriages. We've got you know, Elizabeth Ann Seton this week who, who struggled with... Uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a widow, right, and, and also lost a child and wondered where was God in that. John Newman, who was bishop here in Philadelphia, felt like an absolute failure, that he was a total misfit, that he was, you know, he was, he was small in stature and he had a bad accent and people didn't understand him. And he felt like a failure. He wrote to the Pope twice saying, make me a bishop somewhere else, right? We have saints who have persevered through every situation we can find in, and they become a hero for us. And then there's the real everyday people who we sit with in church. And so when we raise up our prayers, we raise up our prayers, look, I need this. Right? It's amazing what happens when folks find out that someone else has dealt with or is dealing with the same thing as them. Automatically there's a bond, and they join in prayer. Right? So many powerful things, especially for folks who are in trouble with their kids, to bind together, and, 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 and you're going to get through this. It's so beautiful as a pastor, seeing you know, young families who are struggling with kids being kids, the three-, four-, five-year-olds, and then someone who's a grandparent will come up and just say, yeah, I remember going through that. You know, hang in there. I've been through that too. Don't worry. You'll get through it, you know? And it happens. Mm. It happens. Our spiritual director for the hour today on The Inner Life is Father Chris Walsh. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And we're talking about the ongoing conversion that each one of us is called to. How do we live that out? Uh, whether that is in the way that we change our attitude towards sin if that's the way that we incorporate more prayer into our lives. If we look at the example of the saints, what are ways that you have lived out that ongoing conversion in your life? And do you find yourself maybe getting a little discouraged that that conversion process, that growth in holiness, isn't happening as quickly as you might want it to? Uh, you can call in and speak with Father Chris Walsh at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. More to come right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond. Our spiritual director is Father Chris Walsh, a priest in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, the pastor of St. Raymond of Penafort Catholic Church in Philly, and today talking about that ongoing process of conversion, that ongoing growth in our spiritual lives, trying to grow in holiness, and how do you live that out in your daily life? What has helped you to grow closer to Christ? What has helped you to have that ongoing renewal, <laughs> to, to not say, oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get around to that, or it's a once-in-a-while thing, but it, it's something that goes on and on each day, each hour of each day. 888-914-9149 is the number you can call and, and join the conversation. 888-914-9149. You know, Father, as we're talking about that ongoing conversion process. One thing is that if I have been going through and I, okay, I go to mass, you know, at least weekly, you know, uh, maybe I even go more often. I have been setting aside time for daily prayer. I've been trying to grow in my faith. I've been trying to grow in my relationship with Christ, but it seems like I might be at the same place I was last year, or maybe five years ago, or maybe 10 years ago. When that, when there's not a very, um, I, I guess, noticeable difference in spiritual growth, is that something where we need to look and reassess, reevaluate what we're doing at that moment? Is it something where if we are, if we have that right heart attitude, and we are persevering in the prayer, in the spiritual reading, in the sacraments, um, do, do we just say, okay, God, I just have to trust more and leave it in your hands, and even though I might not see that growth, I'm just going to trust that it's happening? Any advice for somebody who's in that situation? Yeah, I, I think first off, if someone has been worshiping God regularly and praying, uh, my, my line for this year is, you know, Worship weekly, pray daily. Um, you know, if that's happening, and there really is a, an intentionality around daily conversion. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Benedictines have the expression, uh, conversion of manners. So every aspect of my life. So it's not just I'm avoiding sin, but, you know, just the way I treat people in and out, day after day, hour after hour is different. Um, I doubt that the person is the same. They may feel as though they're the same. And and, and I think that's a really key point. I'm glad you brought that up. They. Th- yeah, you know, when you're around somebody... I think they were further along. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think they're further along than they believe. Yeah, I, that, that's what comes to my mind, too, is, you know, if you're around somebody day in, day out, you might not notice that over the course of a year they've dropped 20 pounds, but that's because yeah. you see them every day. But somebody who hasn't seen them every day, all of a sudden... Yeah, so if you're too clo- close to yourself, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees, I guess, for, you know, a cliche to, <laughs> to talk about it. Um, no, that, that's good. That's good. Because I would think so, too, that if that's part of your life, you'd have to have some sort of progress that's happening. Right. Exactly. And so I think that that's why a regular confessor is helpful. It's why, you know, if you're part of a life group or a small group spiritual friends who are who are tuned into the conversion uh, process they can help you 
to see it, you know, even if you're not blessed to have an individual spiritual direction, um, th- that you're able to sort of plug in in that way. And people are saying, oh, no, 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 but look, you're, you're, yeah, that you, you still have a, a difficult marriage, but look, you're not complaining about it to everyone. Um, you, you actually, you know, are, are doing kind things with your spouse. You're like maybe he or she hasn't changed, but you have changed. You have changed. The, the resentment is gone. The bitterness is gone. Oh, okay, yeah. And I think that's one of the things we need to do for each other. Is is to to rejoice. It's it's easy to be critical. It's easy to point out people's failures. But but can we praise them? I mean, it's something I struggle with, right? Being it's not part of my personality. It's easy for me to focus on the, on the negative, and and so part of my constant conversion is let me see the good. Let me point out the good. Let me praise the good. Um, and you know, those from my parish who are listening know that this is a struggle for me. Um, but but it, it's one of the important things for us as a Christian community. And it's beautiful. I see it in my in my men's group uh, here at the parish. You know, where, where guys are saying, "No, no, no, no! Look, you've made this progress. Oh, no, no, this is happening. This is good." And we need to do that for each other. You used the phrase. You said you this is your phrase for the new year: worship weekly, pray daily. Is it, did I get that correct? Yes. Okay. That is correct. Yeah. And so, with that idea of worshiping weekly, praying daily. For somebody who says, I really, I want to have that renewal of myself daily, any specific prayer that you might recommend that is a good starting place for that, that heart attitude of conversion? I, uh, I I always resort to a story of being at the Mandavi Vineyard in California 20-some years ago, and someone asked the question, what's the best wine? And the, the, the wine sommelier said, uh, the one that you like. Um, so what's the best prayer? Uh, the prayer that helps you be open to the movement of God. So for some, it's going to be the rosary or the chapel of the divine mercy. For others, it's going to be a daily devotional. For others, it might be the liturgy of the hours or Eucharistic adoration. Um, you know, some prayer that you find in a prayer book or that's sent to you from someone who's asking for money. So I, I think we have to look around. If, if, if I'm not sensing that movement of grace, uh, in my life and other people are not sensing that movement of grace in my life, then I probably need to change the way I'm praying. Um, you know, but but I think you know some type of daily examine is usually the best way to sort of be aware of of how I'm responding to the movements of grace uh, in my life. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up too, that daily examine, because you know, uh, if if we're not reviewing and looking back and saying, okay, where are those areas that God has given me strength and grace that I have had successes today, but also where are the areas where I can improve, then you're probably going to miss out on opportunities for growth in the future. Father, we're down to just our uh, last few seconds here um, in the hour. Before we wrap up, could I ask you to offer all of our listeners a final blessing? Certainly, Josh. May God give you each the grace you need to follow him who is the way, the truth, and the life, and bless you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Chris Walsh, thank you so much for being with us today. What a just wonderful conversation, and hopefully it's been encouraging uh, as you've been listening as well. If you missed an earlier portion of the program, of course, I say it every time. You can probably say it with me. You can find the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. It'll be available here in just a little bit. And, of course, stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up next. Father Rocky is the celebrant. And tomorrow we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, maybe the least well-known of the three persons of the Holy Trinity, and how we can better understand the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in our life, as well as the prayer to the Holy Spirit, what we're really praying in that prayer. I hope you'll join us for a great conversation here tomorrow on The Inner Life. Have a blessed rest of your afternoon.